Praise God. Let's worship the name of Jesus. God, we exalt you. We thank you for that name that is above every name. God, we thank you so, so much. Jesus is a wonderful name, isn't it? Well, it's good to see you all tonight. Why don't you just for a little while mingle and shake hands and say good evening. It is good to be with all of you tonight. They are going to be passing out a handout to you for tonight's lesson. I'm still trying to orient myself. We just got back one hour ago from Crandon. And uh, believe it or not, it was 40 degrees up in Crandon one evening. I was waiting for it to snow. And uh, you can be seated. Some of the trees are starting to change up there. So... uh, It's just a harbinger of things to come. So I'd like you all just to be comfortable tonight. Um, The lesson that I'm going to be teaching you is um, something that's been on my heart for a long time um, because I see some things taking place that are very alarming. Second Thessalonians talks about a falling away. And so um, I want to educate you on some things for, I hope not for yourself, but for other people. And you'll get the drift as I, I go on with this. So um, if you'd stand, I'm going to read Acts 20, 28 through 31, and then tell you a little story. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, 
not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul was admonishing those that there was trouble ahead. There was trouble ahead. And so um, just be alert tonight. Fill out your blanks. I'll tell you when I get to those blanks. And um, we should have a good time. So why don't you just be seated. Ruth Ryder, she's one of uh, our authors, in a book called Covenant by Sacrifice, tells a story of two fishermen on a reservoir. Caught up in the excitement of the trip, the men neglected to put down the anchor as they reached their favorite fishing spot. Unmindful of the subtle undercurrent of the water, they began to fish. Hours quickly passed. Suddenly, one of the fishermen looked up to his horror. The boat was drifting dangerously close to destruction. He shouted a warning to his partner, and they began rowing with all their might, seeking to escape the deadly rapids that lie just ahead. After a furious effort, they made it safely to shore. The fishermen were shocked that they drifted so far. It had happened without notice. The danger went undetected until it was almost too late. The writer of Hebrews warns in Hebrews 2 and 1, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. So what I'm going to talk to you about in your paper, it says don't let your raft or your boat drift. You know, we are admonished to hold on to what we have been given um, because up ahead, things could come and grab your attention and get you to look in various areas that God delivered you from so many years ago. And I have a family member that, and this was early on, early on um, when we came into the church, this family member was very, very um, instrumental in getting me to get into the church. And she went to a conference that was held down in the arena and it was a man that was not of the Pentecostal persuasion. And uh, for some of you that have been here for a long time, his name was Harlow White. And he had miracles, signs, wonders, and he had doctrine of elevated understanding. And she, who had been in the church for a while, was drawn away. She drifted away from the truth, so much so that she backslid. And it taught me early on that you can never be so sure of your salvation that you start to play around with things that you denounced when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Amen? Because the honeymoon phase does wear off. It does wear off. And what happens to people is then they begin to shift and think they've got it all under control. 
John Trent, author of Heart Shift and a professional counselor, tells of a plane trip where he sat beside a NASA petroleum engineer. He took advantage of the opportunity to ask the missile scientist, how many degrees can a space rocket be off before it becomes a huge problem? Could it be two degrees off? The man pulled out his calculator and started punching in numbers. To be two degrees off from when you blast off and taking into consideration the time and distance traveled, you'll miss not only your point of orbit entry, but you'll miss the moon by 11,121 miles. Trent goes on to say, just by two degrees off from the right heart attitude, add it enough time and distance, and an entire church can end up miles from the heart of God. We have to be very careful because of the time that we live in. The time that we live in. It's not like when those of us that are in our 60s, 70s, when we grew up. The world was very moral at that time. Yes, there were things that were slowly creeping in, but today, today, the moral people are in the minority. It's those who say they're progressive, they're liberal, they have greater understanding that are really pummeling the minds of so many. We've got to be careful so we do not drift from where we're supposed to be heading. Drift refers to something that has carelessly been permitted to become lost. It is another word for shift. And this is taken from a book that I, I have been reading, and it's called Historical Drift by Dr. Arnold L. Cook, posed the question, must my church die? His timely book teaches us how to detect, diagnose, and reverse the trends that churches have toward drifting from fundamental truth. Part of this book has been a primary source used, a primary source used by others to teach not going too far to the left. And might I add this, you shouldn't go too far to the right. You know, a bird has two wings. I'm concerned about the, the, the middle, okay? So, it says this in Ephesians 4 and 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And we really do, listen, we really do have to be careful about the internet. You can find anything you want on the internet. And if you read too much into what you start to study, you can start to drift in the wrong direction. Amen? So, <clears throat> on your papers, when do people begin to drift? Number one, people drift when they fail to pass on the truth 
through successive generations. Past and successive generations. It's alarming to me when I look at families and I see sometimes how parents live. Because what, and I've always, I've always had this saying, I always use it, what one generation does in moderation, the next generation takes to excess, you know, excess. So I know a lot of times as parents, we want the best for our children. We don't want them to suffer. We don't want them to get into trouble. Sometimes we even pay their way out of trouble. But I don't know about you, sometimes the College of Hard Knocks is very good. Sometimes we have to let people understand that they need to live the right way and we need to pass this truth on to them. We don't need to live their lives, they need to live their own lives. But sometimes we meddle too much into the lives of people and we don't let them suffer the consequences of their wrong decisions. I know it, it's hard. It's hard when you have children or you have good friends. It's hard really to see them and you know what's coming up ahead. You know it. You, maybe you've been there and, and you want to you wanna get there, circumvent what's going on, but sometimes pain is the greatest teacher. When I do funerals sometimes, I always go into Ecclesiastes and it says, it's better to spend more times at a funeral than it is at a carnival. Everybody likes pleasure, but you don't learn anything. It's in those times when you are really challenged in your life, when your stress level is up there and the pain comes on, that you learn your lesson the most. So that's why people drift when they fail to pass on the truth to successive generations because they're just not doing what's right. Number two, people drift when they move away from their foundational doctrines. The trend is for church denominations and people to drift or move away from their teachings those things that brought them in over time. And it doesn't have to be that way. It really does not. Drifting can be prevented, and it must be prevented. I don't have this scripture, but if you can get Galatians 6 and 1. Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And it says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's, it's wonderful to point a finger at people and say, you're doing the wrong thing. But you've got to remember the old adage, three are pointing right back at you. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I doing the right things? Am I keeping in track with what I have come in under, what I'm being taught, what I'm supposed to submit to. John Wesley once said, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist. 
but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having a form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both to the doctrine, spirit, and discipline which they first set out. I think we've told this story numerous times. Some years ago at our camp, at our camp that's up in Shawano, a Methodist minister came in. This was years ago. And he saw the people dancing, shouting, speaking in tongues, and he started to weep. And when asked the question, why are you so distraught? He said, this is how we used to be. We used to be a people of holiness. We used to follow this way. This is exactly what Wesley was talking about. The Charisma Magazine, October 1993, quoted the Assembly of God General Superintendent as saying, we might be Pentecostal in doctrine, but we're not Pentecostal in experience. They used to be holiness like us. But can I tell you what, they, what happened to them? The families, the daughters, the sons lamented that they couldn't do certain things, and then the pastors began to loosen up on their children. Thus, that's what you have now. You drift. Over a period of time, you drift. Too many people, George Wood said, in the same meeting, that same meeting, are leaving our churches unchanged, unmoved, unsaved, unfulfilled, unsanctified, and unmotivated to turn their heart and will over to God completely. We need a holy fire which sets aside business as usual in the church until Jesus comes. I applaud you for the way that you are worshiping God I love the fact that you get up here and you dance before the Lord. I love the fact that some of you say, I love this truth. We have to keep it. We have to keep it until Jesus comes. Hold on before casting a judging eye on another's church. Because we do not want to fall into the same trap. And can I tell you, I've seen too much. Over the 40 years that we have been serving the Lord, 43 to be exact, I have seen way too much take place. People that I thought were solid in the truth, all of a sudden, they're gone. But it wasn't overnight that that happened. It was like the song says, it's a slow fade. Number three. People drift when they move away from soul winning. Now, <clears throat> your pastor can correct me. My Bible tells me that we should go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't qualify which people should do it, he encompassed everybody. We are all to be soul winners, disciple makers, without exception. And I realize that at times we have fears and phobias, but God has not given us the spirit of timidity or fear. 
but power, love, and soundness of mind. If we will just press the envelope a little bit, we'll change. We'll change. And once you start to soul win, once you start to reach out to people, you become addicted. You really do because you see lives change because they're hearing what you've got to say. They're listening to your experience. After all, you overcome the devil not only by the blood, but by the word of your testimony. See, it's your testimony. It's your life. And your life can change other lives. Why? Because you've been changed. It's like GE, the light's on. We can't put down soul winning. L.R. Scarlesboro, a Southern Baptist, once said, it is found that so long as the heart of an institution burns hot with the fires of soul winning, it is not likely to drift in its theology. Amen? Four. Are you ready? People drift when they concentrate on maintaining the organizational structure. What does that mean? Arnold Cook said, as a result of their position on the aging side of the life cycle, congregations are being sustained by their management rather than fueled by their vision. Generally, the more aged the congregation, the longer it takes to produce lasting change. I've seen it. Churches that have just older people, they're sedentary, they don't want to do too much to rock the ship, and so they slowly die. It's healthy to see young, middle-aged, old, and the old shouldn't be so crotchety that they don't like the new. Huh? I don't like that song. Who cares? Who cares? The younger people like it, just so long as it's not rap. I went to a district conference one time. And I'm not going to say the name, but this guy got up, and his pastor, his pastor said he's got a song, and he got up and he started rapping. And it was a rap about Jesus, and you should have saw the faces in that place. There was no come to Jesus moment there. There was no raised hands. There was nobody dancing. They were just thinking, what in the world is going on? See, there are some things that are stylish. There are some things that are not. There are some things that the world has to offer that we do not have to take on. And I know the Bible says the children of darkness are wiser than the children of light. But sometimes the children of darkness should just stay in the darkness. We just need to stay the light. Right? Amen? Amen. So, organizational structure. Number five. People drift... When seminaries and Bible schools fail in training the leaders. A guy by the name of Timothy Bogar and Alvin Reed in Evangelism of the Changing World cautioned, 
when a denomination's theology changes, that changes almost always, or that change almost always begins with the leaders that are being trained in their schools and in their seminaries. Again, progressive, progressive, what goes on. So you've got to be where. And listen, this is why this is birthed, because, you know, in the beginning when I read that scripture that some would come out of it, uh, come out of us, you know, grievous wolves would come in, but then there would be others that would arise. We've got things happening like that today. We've got people that become disgruntled with pastors, disgruntled, and they say, I can do it better. And then they leave and they take people with them. And you know what's going to happen eventually. Things begin to drop. Things begin to change. Appearances begin to change. Doctrine begins to change. It's always the same. It never, never, never takes a different... It always goes in the wrong direction. So you've got to be careful, and you've got to be careful of leaders at times, because leaders can change. Why? Because they want a crowd. That's what they want. That's what they're after. So watch. Be vigilant. Be sober. Six. People drift when Satan lulls us into sleep rather than the church experiencing revival. Satan is an accuser of the brethren. And we've got to be careful when we use the word revival. Do you know? Do you know what revival really means? It means to bring back to life, which means there's been something that was dead. So we're not talking about those that are out there. We're talking about those that are in here. Revival starts in here. Revival starts with the fact that we understand who we are. We understand that we've not chosen him, but he's chosen me. He's chosen us, and he's ordained us. Once we get that understanding, once we truly understand what it is that Christ has done in our life, there should be a charge inside of us. There should be an electricity that flows through us and then flows out of us into other people. We should be charged to talk about our experience and let others know what it is that God has done in our lives, in our families. Are you happy with what God has done for you? No, truly, are you happy? How did you feel when you first repented? Can I tell you something? My repentance was so powerful, it, it superseded me going into the baptismal. That repentance, and then he filled me with the Holy Ghost. Are you kidding me? I felt a love that I had never experienced from any human being. And that love continues to grow more and more each day. And that love propels me as well as it should propel you to do what God wants. But the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Oh, Kyle, you're such a good Christian boy. You had a fight with your wife last night. 
what's wrong with you? I thought you're supposed to be the perfect epitome of a Christian. Oh, Jim, you went off on one of your employees. What is wrong with you? I thought you're a good church-going boy. I remember one time my wife and I were having a fight. It's early on. And uh, she got the last word. She looked at me and she said, good Christian boy. Shut me up real well. But you know, the devil will use anything he can to slander you, to come against you. He'll do anything he can to put you to sleep so that you really, really do not do what God has asked you to do. It's kind of like the frog in the kettle. I know it doesn't work, but it's a nice proverb. You know, you put that frog in tepid water, you put the burner on real slow, you know, and it just gets real warm and your muscles get real relaxed, and then all of a sudden it starts to get real hot, and at that point you can't jump out. I've known so many people that have experienced their salvation, and they start to experiment. Oh, I can handle this. I can handle it. Just one drink's not bad. You know, one drink leads to another drink to another drink. Or we were just having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were talking about um, certain things for pain medication. And, you know, if you uh, have a problem with that kind of thing, you got to be very careful. I had a friend that I taught a Bible study to, and um, he was doing very well. He was hooked on heroin, and um, he, he was doing so exceptionally well years ago, and then all of a sudden he was a big weightlifter, and he had a compression fracture in his neck. And the pain was excruciating, and he went to rehab, and they gave him oxy. That took him off to the races again. We've got to be so careful. Those, the, you know, that old thing, you are the weakest link. Remember that program? The devil knows what your weak links are. He knows exactly who you are. And he will come at you again and again and again until he penetrates and you've heard me teach this to you. One of his names is Diablo. It's, it's a compound, diabalo. Dia meaning with a repetitive motion, balo, ball, or rock. And he'll keep coming and coming and coming until he finally penetrates your mind. Because this is where the battle is. Right here. This is where it is. And God doesn't want your boat to drift. We've got to be anchored to the Lord. We've got to be anchored because we're living in those times. We are living in the last of the last of the last days. We are living in it. Take a look out there what they're doing. Did you ever think they would be coming after little children with puberty blockers and pummeling them to change their gender? And telling parents, if they had a girl and she wants to be a boy, would you rather have a live boy or a dead girl? 
These are professionals that are being used by the devil to penetrate our minds, knock us off kilter, get us to walk away from the doctrine. I was talking to the pastor, so I'm going to use this because I'm using a different source. He used it before. Ruth Ryder, again, in Covenant by Sacrifice, related a story of a man that met an overland traveler who had walked on foot for a long distance. He was interested in knowing what the greatest difficulty the traveler had encountered in his long journey. He suggested that perhaps the mountains on the trail had been the greatest barrier, but the traveler assured his questioner, it was not that. Then he suggested that perhaps the swollen streams which cut across the roads presented the greatest hazard, but it wasn't that. After a little while, the traveler said, what almost defeated me in my journey across the continent was the sand in my shoes. Sister Reader pointed out this, and it comes from Song of Solomon's. It's the little foxes. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. So many people get sideways over so many different things. He didn't shake my hand. He didn't visit this person. He didn't go here. He didn't go there. He didn't jump when I played the fiddle. Can I just say something? Grow up. We're adults, aren't we? We have to live our life with our responsibilities. And we have to understand we're all human. I'm not in that position any longer as a pastor. And someday, if the pastor lets me, I'd like to teach on being a pastor. What, is, what all encompasses that life? What a pastor carries. Can I tell you that there are pastors that have PTSD? One doctor looked at um, Calvin Jean. Calvin Jean went in there, and uh, Calvin had some things wrong with him. He's from Illinois, and uh, heart rate was high, blood pressure was high, and the doctor looked at him and said, what kind of a job do you have? He says, whatever you have, shift your, shift your employment to another type of uh, work. And Calvin said, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to shift. God called me. The stress level that comes on, that, and, and, and I don't mean to be, that, that people put on an individual. When we're all supposed to be working in this field together. Amen? We mature, and as we mature, we work together. We're lively stones fitted together for a habitation of the Lord. Okay? But God does give you shepherds after his own heart to help you, to stand before you, to give you an example. You know, Moses, when he started, and I'm so far off my lesson right now. I'm sorry, Pastor. But if you read the Bible, Moses started amongst the people. Then a little while later, it says he was ahead of the people, leading them. The last thing it says, he was above the people. 
when they fought. Understand that. God is the one. And the devil is always there trying to circumvent, circumnavigate, to destroy God's perfect plan. And in so doing, he'll get people to drift. He'll get people to drift in the wrong direction. Because that's his thing. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But we can't let him. Number seven. People drift because their leadership drifts. Again, Arnold Cook from this book stated, Organizations normally don't drift, only their leaders. There usually comes a backsliding in the pulpit before there is a backsliding in the pew. And we have to look out for that. Number eight, people drift when there is a lack of vision. Proverbs 29 and 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. I learned from my old pastor, Brother Rogers, that pastors sometimes can be maintenance pastors. You know what that means? They don't want to do anything but just keep the copacetic going. They're not aggressive. They're not charging. And I'll be real honest with you. I realized as I got older, it was time to retire. I'll be honest. Because as you get older, you don't have that oomph anymore. Right, honey? We had somebody come and repair our walls, and we had to move everything from one side of the basement to the other side of the basement. So she calls my two son-in-laws and my son and says, this is the day I'd like you to come over and uh, move everything. So I went downstairs and I started moving something. She got so mad at me. Why? Because you don't have the oomph anymore to do it. So you realize that to keep things going, and I'm being very honest with you, to keep things going, you need more energy. You need a younger eye. You need somebody that's got a little more on the ball. And I'm not saying I'm that old by any means. <laughs> but I know that a younger guy, right there, a younger guy, has what it takes to drive, to keep going, to keep moving. And so... People drift when there's no vision. People want that vision. They want that put before them. You got one victory, you've got another victory. That's why David was so successful. That's why so many people gravitated around David, because David was an aggressive fighter. And people understood they could follow somebody like that. They could trust somebody like that. Because he'd have their back as well as they having his back. Amen? Number nine. People drift when there is a desire, your little square there, for the world. 
or to be like everybody else. We look around, and don't tell me, some of you don't like this, we look what's out there and we go, man, I wish I had what they had. If we're going to be honest here. Sometimes we compare ourselves with other people. And the Bible strictly says, don't compare yourselves amongst yourselves. No comparisons. You're like a snowflake. You have your own individual pattern that God placed within you. And God calls you and God deals with you in a different way than he deals with other people. He doesn't want you to be like Sally. He doesn't want you to be like Peter. He wants you to be you. He wants Joan to be Joan. He wants Aaron to be Aaron. He wants people just to develop as he leads them along in maturity. After all, if you have a child and they don't walk after four years, there's something wrong, isn't there? Because there's a pattern of growth and development. Same thing in the kingdom of God. There's a pattern of growth and development, but we're supposed to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. What does it say, Katie, in Philippians 2 and 5? It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In another rendition, it says, let this attitude, that word mind is attitude, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we have to develop according to God's program and plan. Arnold again went on to say that Robert Bork in his book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah, comments on the power of culture to unrelentingly squeeze us into its mold. With each new evidence of deterioration, we lament for a moment and then become accustomed to it. It's kind of like a rubber band. I've used that too. You get a new rubber band, you stretch it, it doesn't come back to its original shape. Stretch it more, it's, it's even more out of shape. So it's the same thing. You play with the world long enough. You watch enough of the junk that the world has to put before you. You read enough of the news on a daily basis. You listen to commentators and pot stirs. After a while, what it's going to do is it's going to change you. And your desires won't be that which started in the very beginning. How glorious this relationship was when you first started. How you couldn't get enough of Jesus Christ. How you couldn't wait until you went to church. Amen? On your papers, I put down, look closely at what happened to Lot. First, he looked towards Sodom. Chose the ground near Sodom. Pitched his tent near Sodom. Moved to Sodom. Dwelt there. Became like the people of Sodom. 
gave his daughters to Sodom and hesitated in leaving the city. He even didn't even want to go that far. He stayed closer to Sodom. We have to remember Lot's wife. She looked back. Some feel she not only looked back, she started to go back. And then the butamen and ash hit her. It's kind of like Pompeii. They said when the lava came down, it froze people. And you can still see those things. That's what happened to her. 1 John 2 and 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I've put everything else in there, so please. This is a lesson for us. First of all, to watch ourselves, to really, really peruse our lives. You must get sick of hearing this, but you've got to pray, you've got to read your Bible, study it, and then you've got to live the life that God's asked you to live. If you do those three things, you'll have great success. As a matter of fact, the other day, Katie, could you bring up for me Psalm 1? I'm going to read it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man and woman, I'm going to put that in there, that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Stay right there for a minute. No, just go back. So what does that mean? You don't listen to people that don't have the Holy Ghost. I know we read books that people have that are not filled. Here's what I say. Eat the meat and spit out the bones. Okay? Eat things that are pertinent to training you up. But not adverse to your doctrine. Okay? So, don't walk in their counsel. Don't stand in the way of sinners. I know we want friends. I know we want buddies. But you got to be careful who your friends are. Be careful who your friends are. Don't stand around the water cooler and telling dirty jokes with them. Or laughing at their jokes. Because that kind of thing penetrates you. Nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Those people that are just sour pusses all the time. Well, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he preached? <laughs> Don't sit with them. Okay? Two. But his, her delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law... You meditate day and night. I'm not talking about the Old Testament law. I'm talking about the Word of God. Okay? Three. And they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit, his fruit, in season, in due season. The leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does, we'll stay right there, shall prosper. Because then it goes on to talk about those that don't. So whatsoever you do, 
shall prosper. I'm not talking a prosperity message here, okay? But I'll tell you one thing. If you walk with the Lord, he's like any daddy. When my kids used to come up and sit on my lap and love me to death, I just got something from my granddaughter. She put it on my desk. I went in there. Where is it? Let me see that again. I wish I could show this to you, but she made a drawing. Man, I'll give her anything now. It says, to Grandpa from Anna Lee. It says, Dear Grandpa, August 29th, I love you so much. I am so happy that you are my grandpa. XOXO, XOXO, XO. Man, that's kisses and hugs. And then it says, Love Anna Lee. And then she's got Grandpa right here, and she's got Anna Lee right here. I haven't had a chance to see her yet, but when I do, my heart just melted. And I'm a grandpa. But what do you think God is when you saddle up to him and you begin to pray and you tell him how much you love him, how thankful you are for what he's done for you, and you're going to follow him and you're going to do everything? What do you think God does for you? What do you think? He, he opens up the windows of heaven at times and pours out a blessing that you couldn't possibly contain. Don't let your boat drift. Don't let your boat drift. Stay saddled. And if you see people that are drifting, help restore them. Let's pray. God, we thank you ever so much for the love that you give to us. And God, how you each and every day refresh your blessings for us. God, let us be pleasing to you and let us always be a delight in your eyes. God, as we give you those wonderful love notes each day as we pray to you and tell you how glad we are that you're our Father and that you've saved us. We ask all this knowing that you're here and you're with us in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.